As you sit down, if you don't know the person next to you, say hi and welcome to Influence. Got some visitors tonight. That worship was beautiful. Okay, well, we want to, uh, we love to fellowship, but we, we, we have a special guest, and we want to give him as much time. I'm just going to give you a quick little um, overview, and, you know, many of you were with us from the beginning um, when Pastor Phil started a sermon series called The Journey, and we were, and we were making our way through the wilderness and, and the journey, and I want you to know that this church on 2-12-15 will be three years old, and we all know we have been on a journey with what God is doing in and among us in this people. And, you know, from the very beginning, from the inception of this church where we started, we started with prayer. This church started, it was birthed in prayer. And every Sunday since the church has been birthed, we pray. We gather together and we pray. And I want you to know what, what you may not understand is God is divinely weaving your life together. We were in staff today and it was as if God just showed me he's bringing the puzzle pieces together and we are those pieces. He is weaving a tapestry, and we are each a thread in that tapestry. And what he is doing goes beyond comprehension. This is a divine moment, and the Spirit of God is over this place in a mighty way. Um, boy, when we started with prayer, it was, it was amazing. I just want to bring you up to speed on that every week. And as you guys know, um, that whole prayer wall, that was just something God told us to do. He told us to put that prayer wall there. And as you know, we have people in our community coming every day. And then all of a sudden, our receptionist at the front desk are going, well, we'll just get out on Facebook. And so they're on Facebook every day here in our community in Anaheim. And, um, and your Belinda, do you need prayer requests? And prayer requests are coming in. We've got Muslims who are coming in. We've got our Jewish brothers and sisters are coming in and people are coming in this place has been birthed and bathed in prayer from the very very beginning and I've had a heart for prayer I knew that God wanted this church to be a house of prayer I knew it from the very beginning and you guys we know remember we started the circle walks and we did the circle maker and we started working I want you to realize Corey being here which I'm going to introduce him is God's divine timing for us because we're ready for the next step but I want you to know the seed was planted the very first day this church birthed, that it would be a church of prayer. And we're seeing that. Boy, we're just, people are praying, and we're seeing miracles. I've never seen miracles like this in my ministry. In all the years of my ministry, never seen it. And God's doing something. He's stirring. And so several months ago, um, I knew we're ready for a new level. Um, we've got our prayer team. They come every Sunday morning. We pray over the wall. We've got the receptionist now praying. We've got people walking in. Yesterday, as I was up here showing someone the prayer wall, a woman walks in from the post office and said, I heard this was a place I could leave a prayer. She heard about it, guys. People are hearing this is a safe place. Remember I said to you, where do people go who don't have God? Where do you go when you find out you have cancer? Where do you go when you find out your spouse has left you or your child is struggling? Where do you go? That prayer wall is where you go. And we know God's just birthing this. So about three or four months ago, um, I have a dear friend who is Korean, and she's a part of the 24-7 the prayer ministry in Fullerton. Has anybody ever been to the House of Prayer over? Um, it's just a, I don't know, it's not affiliated with House of Prayer or IHOP, but it's just a 24-7. And she asked me to meet her at 10 o'clock at night. And Lori D'Angelo and I went. We met her at 10, and we were still praying after midnight with her and we were just praying and we were interceding and I thought there's there's something here we need there's some we're ready to go to the next level what is that because I know Lisa and some of you actually you come up here during the week and you just sit at this cross and you pray we will not we, we actually bought little squ 
carpet squares so people could come up here and just pray at the cross during the week. And Do you understand how this is organically happening? We weren't smart enough to do this. This is step by step. These puzzle pieces are coming and just this prayer ministry is growing. And so we went there and I thought, well, I'm gonna take a few of our prayer team. And so I got Christy and and some of the prayer team and we went and we sat. We actually had the, the, the head of the prayer ministry at that church. Thousands of people attend there. She prayed over us in Korean. I said, I don't know if it was tongues or Korean, but it was God's language. That's all I know. And she prayed over every one of us and, and it, was, it was amazing. But as we got in the car, I looked at Christy and I said, that's not our model. And I knew in my spirit that wasn't our model. I knew it was amazing what God's doing, but remember, we are all individual. See, churches are like bodies. They're all individual, they're all unique, and God kept pressing on me. He had, he had a specific um, um, look for us. Influence is gonna look different than anyone else. So um, it was just a, a few days right around Christmas time, and, and Phil said, babe, what do you wanna do for Christmas Eve? And I said, I don't know, what do you wanna do? And he was on his laptop, and something popped up from IHOP, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, and he said, do you wanna go to Kansas City and I go wait why would we go to Kansas City in December we live in California you know they come here amen brother all right I'm from St. Louis I know that's not where you go around that time of the year but the Spirit of God uh, led us there and we went and it was an amazing conference 25,000 plus high school kids praising God um, conferences and all this kind of stuff and so whenever we go to conferences we we conquer and divide and Phil was going to a few you know, seminars, and I was going to a few, and I'm just, I'm writing, I'm soaking in how you start a house of prayer, what it looks like, what we need to do. They've done it brilliantly, which Corey's going to share with you. And I was sitting in this one, and Phil texts me, and he says, how's yours? And I says, it's great. And he says, I'm coming down. So he came into the conference with me, and I'm sitting there, and it was amazing. They just, you know, how did you start a house of prayer? What does it look like? And I'm taking all these copious notes, getting ready, because I'm wanting to do what they do. And at the end, there was a panel, and there was a woman. I want you to see the divine God, hand of God because he is this divine with you, all right? He's this divine with you and your life. And there was a panel. Now, it would make sense to me that the woman on the panel from Pasadena would be the one I need to connect with. So the panel is all, all over, and I'm thinking, I'll meet with her. She's in California, and I make this beeline for this woman who from Pasadena to say, could I meet with you? Could, could you mentor us? Could you walk us in how to start a house of prayer? And I mean, I, I got there pretty quick, and as soon as I did, I'm looking around, and she wasn't there. And I'm like, where did she go? And I went up to one of the women on the panel, and I said, I was, I was looking for the woman from Pasadena, Cheryl, and, and, well, I, and she looks right at me, and she goes, you need to talk to Corey. Go to, over there to Corey. She literally looked at me and said, you need to talk to Corey. And I'm like, okay, who's Corey? And Phil and I are together, and we walk over, and Phil starts talking to Corey. We begin to talk to Corey, and we, so, we said, so what do you do? And he says, well, I actually travel the world, and I start International Houses of Prayer. <laughs> and we said, yeah, we need to talk to you. And, um, and so he and Pastor Phil have been emailing back and forth for the last couple weeks, and he so blessed the socks off of our staff today. You are in for a treat with his understanding, his knowledge, not only of the word, but of prayer. And I so, you will never worship the same again after, you, after he teaches us tonight how to enter into worship. You will never worship the same. So um, give him a California greeting. Uh, Corey, will you come? Will you share with us? Yeah, thank you guys. Well, I feel like this is home. I feel like you guys are family already. You know, I, uh, 
I want to thank uh, Phil and Tammy, the whole leadership team, for having me come because truly this is such a privilege for me to be here and, and to meet so many amazing people. I was with the staff this morning and spent a couple hours, and I mean, it went by so fast. Talking about the Lord, he's, he's one of my favorite subjects, right? I mean, when you talk about him and what he's doing on the earth and to see what he's doing here, I mean, I've got to tell you guys, you're so used to it. You know, you get used to it because you're in the environment. Like at IHOP, we're used to IHOP, and that's not International House of Pancakes, just by the way. But, uh, but here, there's something so unique that God's doing. And he's doing the same type of thing all over the earth. But there's something really unique that he's doing here. And for the Lord to draw people in like he is, to gather just the variety of the unique people that I've met so far, just being here, wow. (laughs) Because I believe he wants to establish something. I believe that God wants to establish something here that has the unique the unique, what will I call it? It's a dwelling, it's a, it's a, it's a establishing a dwelling place of his presence. I'll say it that way. Where God wants to rest, where he wants to abide. David called it a resting place. And the reason why he called it a resting place is because in most places on the earth, even within the church, you know, the Lord, he's striving with us to kind of get into agreement with us. He's striving with man, but God wants to to establish a dwelling place where his presence can rest. And I see the Lord doing something so unique here. Um, Luke 17, 26, I can't get it out of my mind, where Jesus said, you know, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And one of the things unique about Noah's day was that God gave Noah a divine blueprint to establish an ark of safety for all those with ears to hear so that they would prevail through the unprecedented events of Noah's day. Beloved, there is unprecedented events in our generation that are just around the corner, and God wants to establish dwelling places of his presence as arcs of safety where people can come that will prevail through those coming days, not just endure. When you hear about the end times, a lot of times it's kind of a theology of endurance. It's not an... it's Jesus' plan for us as the church is not to endure the end times, but to prevail through the end times. And so he's establishing a dwelling place. And so anyway, it, it's uh, just such a privilege for me to be here. And I, I hate it when preachers do this, but I want to do this with us. Could we just stand for a minute? And I, I feel like I want to just begin to thank the Lord for a minute. I want to, it says in Psalm 100, to enter into his gates with thanksgiving, to come into his courts with praise. And I want to invite you to just begin to thank the Lord. Let's just open our mouths up and begin to thank him for what he's doing, for what he has done, for what he is doing. Let's begin to enter into that place of priestly ministry before God where we take our stand before him and we just begin to thank him. So, Father, we come before you tonight. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. God, we exalt you. We say thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this house. Lord, thank you for how you've led us and how you've brought us here together tonight for a purpose. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for giving us ears to hear. Thank you, Lord, for your word, and thank you for the blood of Jesus. Go ahead. Let's just begin to thank him and bless him. Thank you for your blood, Lord, which washes us and cleanses us. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the light God, to our path. Thank you, 
Lord, for all that you're doing in our midst and the healings and the miracles. Lord, we ask you to raise our expectations. Father, we thank you for what you've done in the past, but God, we ask you for more. We ask you to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. God, we ask you to escort us into the beauty realm of your presence. Lord, we ask you to do something here that would be felt around the world. Lord, for your glory, we ask you to establish in this house, Psalm 27, 4, that there would be those who gaze upon your beauty day and night. We ask you to raise up a priesthood in this region, God, that light would break forth. We ask you to push back darkness over this valley. God, would you release the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in such a way that you would gather thousands together a priestly people to minister to you day and night. Lord, that your throne in the heavens would be established in power here on the earth. And so we bless you tonight. God, we ask you to give us eyes to see. We ask you to give us ears to hear. We ask you, Lord, would you empower us to respond to you with wholehearted love? The same love that you possess for us, would you impart it to us? And empower us, God, to love you back with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. All of our strength. We ask you to give me a mouth to speak tonight in the name of Jesus. I just feel like the Lord wants to release a mantle of the priesthood over us in a new level tonight. So I'm just not real quick to rush on. I'm kind of, I could easily get into a message. I just feel like the Lord wants to release something to us. God, we ask you for that mantle of priestly ministry to rest upon us tonight. Holy Spirit, help. God, help us. Help us to enter in to our primary vocation before you as being priests, a kingdom of priests with the knowledge of God. We ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to rest upon us. Escort us, God, into the beauty realm of your presence. Lord, that we would be captured like David. One thing we desire, to behold your beauty, to inquire, God, in your temple. Just release it right now. Holy Spirit, we ask you to have your way tonight. Have your way, Lord. Just release the wind of your spirit right now over us. Release the wind of your spirit. God, we ask you for ministering angels to be here tonight with us. We ask you for creative miracles. Father, we ask you for a prophetic spirit to be upon us. Do it, Lord. Just release it. Release it. Father, release it in the name of Jesus. I ask you for boldness to come upon this people. Just ask the Lord to fill you right now. Just say, Lord, fill me again. Fill me afresh tonight. Fill me to overflowing tonight. Lord, we invite your presence. We need you, God. We need you. We need you. We need the oil of your presence. Touch us, God. I want to invite you just to lay your hands on your neighbor and just pray blessing over them. Just pray the release of the Spirit tonight. Father, release the Holy Spirit and power right now. Increase our capacity to receive. Increase our capacity to receive. Lord, we want more. We want more. 
We want to see things that eyes have not seen. We want to hear things that ears have not heard yet. We want to experience things that have not even entered into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. So take us there, Lord. Take us as a group tonight. Escort us into your presence. Escort us into your presence. Escort Brian. God, I ask you right now, just escort Brian. Take him deeper, God. Take him deeper, God. Take him deeper, Lord. Give him more, Lord. Give him more. Just release your presence, God. Let's believe God for corporate encounter. Let's believe God for escorting us into a corporate encounter. Father, we ask you to lift us up higher tonight, God. Take us into that place of encounter with your presence. We bless you. Lord, we love you. We love you. We want more. We want more. We want more, God. We want more. How many of you want to enter into that place of just being caught up in the spirit and seeing? You know, the Lord does that kind of stuff. I mean, he does. First Corinthians 2, 9 through 11. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But, but, I love that but. He has revealed them to us by his spirit who searches all things, even the deep things of God that we might know the things that have been freely given to us. Guys, one encounter with God will change your life forever, as you already know. Let's, go, let's press for the corporate thing. Corporate catchings up, where you see your friend in the throne room, and you talk about it afterwards. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just lift our hands up to him. Father, we ask you right now, release the fire of the Holy Spirit upon us. Release the fire of the Holy Spirit upon us. Release the fire of the Holy Spirit upon us. Right now, God, we ask you, fill us with your fire. Fill us, Lord. Increase our capacities. Fill us. I want to ask how many of you in the room right now are just sensing that that little bit of the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit upon you? How many of you are feeling that? Okay, everybody lower their hands. How many of you are feeling it? Raise your hands. Okay, the ones with your hands raised, if you don't have your hand raised, just lay your hands on them and let's say more. More, Lord. More, Lord. I mean, guys, I love to teach. I love to teach. I'm a Bible teacher. That's what I get to do all the time. But I feel like the Lord wants to impart something to us tonight that's more than just teaching. I feel like the Lord wants to establish something tonight. And so 
we want to we don't want to rush too fast past this moment because I really sense the Holy Spirit saying pause just wait just wait so I don't know exactly what we're waiting for but I know him enough to be obedient when he's saying something to me so again let's just pray let's lay our hands on our neighbor Lord increase more increase more we want an impartation tonight we want to be clothed in priestly garments God we want to enter in with understanding we want to receive everything that you have for us tonight we ask you for fire right now upon every heart fire upon every heart fire Lord we ask you just to release the angelic ministry tonight that we would partner with angels that we would have encounters God I ask you to open up the seer realm tonight let us behold your beauty let us behold your glory God change us transform us we don't want to leave the same way we came in tonight God we ask you let incense arise from this house let incense arise Lord fill the bowls tonight before your throne let something be added to those bowls of prayer tonight that are going to change the course of history for this people for this region here we are Lord <laughs> Brian, I like you. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. Just a little bit. Come on. Is this normal for you? Is this normal for you? Come here just for a second. (laughs) Just um, in a couple sentences, in a couple sentences, just what are you feeling? I feel a whole bunch. I used to, I love people, but I really love people now. I don't look at the outer appearance anymore. Look at the heart. He's oh wow. I, I it's just a whole bunch of like this when it was there I just saw the Lord and he said, Come, come. So I've I, I got close and I just had a fall. I just had a fall on the ground because his glory is so, mm, yeah. it's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Father, we just thank you. Lord, we take this as a token, what you're doing with Brian. Lord, we take this as a token of what you're going to do to a priestly people that you raise up right here, Lord, to enter in to that place of beholding your glory, seeing you with our eyes ministering to you at your feet. So I just bless what you're doing on him right now. Lord, we ask you to release it over all of us in the name of Jesus. (laughs) I like you, man. (laughs) I like you. 
Amen. All right. Well, let's let's just have a seat. We're, you know, the Holy Spirit's not going anywhere. <clears throat> but I do feel like he wants to impart something to us tonight. He wants to impart something to me tonight. So I don't want to rush past it. I want to just kind of, you know, wait. More happens when you just wait and you ask. So um, just a, a little bit of of me just so we can kind of get to know each other. You know, it's our first date, right? <laughs> so, but I like you guys a lot. Um, I got saved about 20 years ago. I came out of kind of corporate America. I did health clubs. We had health clubs and I was in uh, Northern Indiana by the University of Notre Dame and uh, got to a place where I was in desperate need. I was unsaved, desperate need of God to bail me out of trouble. I was going to go to jail. A lady had stolen money from me, and I owed the IRS. It was a big mess, and so I cried out for help. And I was thinking mental institution because I was hearing demons in my voice telling me to kill myself. And I had a vision of Jesus, and he came in, and he stood before me, and he said, I want you to give your life to me. And so I said yes, but I made a deal with him. The deal was, I'll give my life to you if you get me out of this mess. And you know what? He did. He sent a man that I didn't know. The man paid a couple million dollars and bailed me out of trouble. And I was totally 100% set free to serve God. And so a couple years into that journey, I'm driving down the road and I have an open vision uh, in my car of a circular platform with every nation, every tribe, every tongue represented, dressed in cultural clothing with their native instruments you know, the Africans had the drums and the Asians had the strings and I saw light coming out of their instruments. I saw light coming out of their mouths. It wasn't anything I could hear. It was light that was going forth on the earth and it was converging together in this kind of a hurricane of worship that was going up to the throne of God. And I knew intuitively, I knew by the spirit, it was Malachi chapter one, verse 11, which on your notes, I have it listed there for you. The first paragraph where it says, from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, my name shall be great among all the Gentiles. And then it says, in every place, incense, speaking of prayer, and a pure offering, talking about worship, shall arise to my name, for my name shall be great among all the nations, says the Lord. So this is speaking of a time prior to the return of the Lord where God himself, by the Holy Spirit, would orchestrate a global prayer and worship movement in every nation, every tribe, every tongue for the glory of his name. Because his name's already great, but he was going to make the nation see him as great. And so I said, yes, Lord, whatever that is, I want to be a part of that. Because when I first got saved, I did evangelism on the street, and I worked with the homeless, and I worked with the poor, and I just, I loved it, but I knew that there was more to the kingdom than my little sphere. And I said, God, I want to be a part of this global, whatever it is, this is what I want to do. And I'm looking at our Sunday church and we had, you know, different groups in our church. We were very, um, we were very um, dichotomized. We had our, you know, the evangelists, which really made everybody feel bad they weren't out on the street more. We had the Friday night prayer group, which if you showed up to the prayers on Friday night, which I always did, they would kind of give you that, you know, evil eye, like, where were you last Friday? We had the, um, the prophetic guys, which were really weird, and everybody kind of stayed away from them because you just never knew what was going to happen. Then we had the, the inner healing guys, you know, which nobody wanted to look them in the eye. 
So you stayed away from the inner healing guys. And then, um, you know, I'm looking at 300 people in our local Sunday church, and I'm thinking, God, if we can't even get into unity, our little group, how are you going to pull off a global prayer and worship movement bringing forth a mature bride in the image of Christ, you know, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ in the earth, a unified bride unto the return of Jesus, the establishment of your kingdom on the earth. Anyway, I was confused. I said, how are you going to do this? You truly will be God if you can pull this off. And the Lord never answered me how he was going to do this. About three years later, I hear the Lord simply say in a time of prayer, just whispers to my heart, by the end of this year, I'm going to show you how all these streams are to flow together in one mighty river called the purpose of God. And he's talking about prophetic evangelism, healing, deliverance, you know, all the works of the kingdom. And so I kind of forget about that. And the mayor of our city at that time was uh, a Christian man, and he was under a lot of persecution for being Christian and the stand that he took for righteousness. And so we wanted to kind of get him away from, from politics for a weekend and receive prophetic ministry so he could kind of be refreshed and get clear direction. He wanted to know, should I run again or whatever? So we're taking him to Kansas City. Now, I'm in northern Indiana. We're going to Kansas City to connect with a prophetic ministry there. And I get off the airplane, and this person greets me, and they say, are you here for the International House of Prayer? And I'm thinking, no, I'm not here for it. And then I think back to that vision, and I think, well, maybe I am here for the International House of Prayer. You know, the Lord kind of sets up those divine appointments. So trying to be sensitive to the Spirit, I go, well, where is it at? We get directions, you know, I change our agenda. We drive to this place, see the sign, and then I look, and there's these trailers. I mean, literal trailers. And I think, that's the International House of Prayer, you know? This has got to be the office building or something. So we go down the road. I knew it was connected to Mike Bickle. We go down the road to his old church, Metro Fellowship, and I say, hey, you know, we're looking for the International House of Prayer. We found the trailers in the office or whatever, but where is it? And they go, they laugh, and they go, no, that's it. That's it. That's what Mike graduated to, the trailers on the hill. So, so we go back. We go in, and when I open the door, they had been going day and night now with worship and intercession for two years. They started in 1999. This is about 2000, 2001, so a couple years into it. You would think that what would hit me first would be the glory of God, right? Day and night, prayer and worship. The first thing that hit me was the smell of a teenage boy's locker room. And I thought, this is that? I mean, come on, Lord. So we weave in. I'm embarrassed now. You can imagine, you know, you know, Mayor Dave, come with me. You know, he's following me back. We go back to this little room. There's no worship team. There's a 14-year-old girl behind keyboards and she's singing, Worthy is the Lamb. And I'm thinking, oh, man, what did I bring him to? And I look over, and he's standing there bent over weeping. Now, that got my attention because I thought, what is going on in this room? So I sit down, and I'm listening to this little girl sing, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. She's singing the same chorus, not for five minutes or ten minutes or 15 minutes, worthy is the lamb. Not 20 minutes, not 25 minutes, worthy is the lamb. Not 30 minutes or 40 minutes. Guys, 45 minutes later, this 14-year-old girl is still singing, worthy is the lamb, to God. She wasn't singing it to me. And I thought, what in the world is going on in here? I had never seen anything like that. Our entire worship service on Sunday was 45 minutes. And here she's singing the same chorus, but it's like every time she sang the words, 
It was penetrating my heart, and I began to see Jesus as worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy. And so I signed up again. You know, it was the next level of sign up. I said, Lord, whatever this is, I want to do this. And the Lord said, Corey, this is Malachi 1.11. In every place, I'm going to raise up a priestly people who understand who I am, and they come before me not because they want something from me. They're not going to use me as a means to some other end. They want to come before me to minister to me because they love me and they want to be with me. And then from that place of priestly ministry before me, then they're going to go out and do the greater works of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. And this is how all the works of the kingdom flow together as one mighty river from the place of first commandment love and priestly ministry before God. That's our primary vocation forever. I mean, do you realize that? If you're an intercessor right now, you have job security forever. It never changes. A billion years from today, you're alive. And you will still be beholding the beauty and the glory of Jesus, and you will be declaring his beauty and glory to the created order. That's worship. You will dive into the depths of his heart, his plans. Knowing the wisdom of his plans, you will speak those plans out in agreement with his will, and God will release his governmental power. That's called prayer. And we get to do that for billions and billions and billions of years because that's the way God chooses to run his kingdom. One day, every person that's going to get saved will be saved. We won't need another evangelist. But the priestly ministry of worship and prayer to God will continue forever and forever and forever. And so I said, Lord, I want to do that. So we went back to our little garage in northern Indiana, 16 people. We started a prayer room that went four hours a week. Four hours a week, we set aside to minister to God. And within three months, guys, he breathed on this little group of 16 people. He gathered 300 people to us, and we were going day and night in prayer, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We did that for seven years. And then the Lord transitioned me in 2007 to move to Kansas City permanently, and uh, I thought it was the devil. My wife says, we're moving to Kansas City. And I said, that's the devil, you know, <laughs> trying to distract us from our primary ministry in northern Indiana. But my wife, how many of you know my wife's always right? <laughs> there you go. I finally caught on. No, she's always right, and she hears from God first. The Lord just keeps me humble. We moved to Kansas City, and it was the best decision we ever made is to go as a family. We did an internship. And, uh, and the Lord set us there. And so now, you know, I get to uh, go around the earth and just meet amazing people like you guys and encourage you. And so anyway, Malachi 111, I want to jump back to it. So when the Lord said that he was going to raise up worship and prayer in every nation, every tribe, every tongue, it says in every place, I understood this. It wasn't a function that we would perform, but it would be an eternal reality that we would embody. So hear what I'm saying most young people today that I speak to, because we have a lot of internships, you know, that I teach at 18 to 25 year olds is mostly who, who I deal with on a regular basis. If I say, guys, define worship for me, they limit it to a two hour worship set of songs that they sing. That's worship. You know, hey, let's go to worship. But worship is a life of sacrifice before the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse one, Paul says, brethren, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you would present yourselves a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of spiritual worship that we would be the sacrifice. We would be the worship. 
You know, the first time worship is used in the Bible is in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 5. And it's where, if you have a King James, it says, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad are going to go yonder and worship. And it's when Abraham was going to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. That's what worship, the first time it's used in the Bible. So at the very heartbeat of worship is this place of sacrifice. And the Lord says, I'm going to raise up in every place a priestly people who live a lifestyle of sacrificial worship to me. They would become the incense in all the nations of the earth. And then from that place, everything that we do is worship to God if we live a lifestyle of worship. So it doesn't even matter if I'm cleaning the toilet. It's worship to God because I'm worship to God. And that's the people that God's raising up on the earth today. Doesn't matter how talented they are, how good they sing, how great they play, how high they jump, how loud the volume is. God's looking for hearts of sacrificial worship. And he's raising up a priestly people to minister to him from the place of first commandment love first. It's the issue in Genesis chapter 4, you know, the story of Cain and Abel. Not to belabor this point, but I think this is important is, you know, I've heard people teach that uh, the reason why Cain's sacrifice was not accepted by God, but Abel's was, was because Cain gave the wrong sacrifice to God. You know, Abel gave the firstborn of the flock. Cain gave the first fruits of the ground. And they said, well, Cain gave the wrong offering. But if you read Genesis 4 carefully, it says that God did not respect Cain the person of Cain, therefore he didn't respect his offering. But Abel, he respected Abel as a person because of the lifestyle. Therefore, he accepted his offering. And so God's doing that all over the nations of the earth today. He's bringing forth a pure incense and pure worship before him. And then, beloved, when we add singing to that lifestyle, when we add worship songs to that lifestyle, that is powerful. And that's what he's doing over the nations of the earth today. Just to kind of give you an idea of the explosion that's happening in the nations right now, um, there is one organization called the Call to All, which is a gathering of of, uh, the largest mission organizations, YWAM, Campus Crusade for Christ, some other ones, and the largest prayer organizations, and they, they had congresses throughout the nations to gather together to strategize how they could take the gospel of the kingdom to every tribe and tongue by 2020. And so they get together and the mission organizations say, well, you know, we can hit these tribes, these tongues, and the prayer organizations, which IHOP's one of them says, and we will cover you in prayer. And they're going to cover the earth, a gospel presentation to every tongue by 2020. But in the wake of missions, they're not going to leave behind a Western model of church, they're actually envisioning them for day and night prayer and worship. And just out of this one stream, I mean, you know, there's thousands of streams of ministry that God's doing in the earth today. Just out of this one stream, they have committed to conservatively raising up 700,000 day and night houses of prayer by 2020. It's only five years away. That people are getting saved and then they're teaching them how to put worship music and singing around the word of God together and doing it day and night in the nations. Guys, it's a sign and a wonder what God is doing today. Well, look at the notes just for a minute. I just want to hit a couple points. This was something that we went over in staff today. And I just want to use it for just a launching point. But uh, paragraph B, at the very core of this global phenomenon of the explosion of prayer and worship that's going on in the nations of the earth today is the place of encounter 
with God. It's at the very core of it. It's presence-based worship where we actually encounter the person of God in it. You know, it's amazing to me that the God who has everything, right? He doesn't need anything. The God who has everything in John chapter 4 says that he's seeking worshipers. It's one thing he's actually looking for is a people of worship. He's seeking it. And so he's the one that's orchestrating this. His desire from the very beginning, going back to the garden, is that he would dwell in unhindered face-to-face communion with his people in the paradise-like conditions of the Garden of Eden on the earth forever. That's what God wants. That's his desire. And, of course, we know that in the garden he walked with Adam and Eve, and then Adam sinned, and because of sin, the Bible describes this veil of separation that distanced God's manifest presence from his people. But at the very centerpiece of God's eternal plan is for Jesus, second person of the Godhead, the only one that's fully God and fully man, to bring together the heavens and the earth again as it was in the beginning where God's throne will literally be on the earth and we will dwell in face-to-face communion with him. I mean, do you have a vision for that? We're not always going to commune with God at a distance by the Spirit. Guys, we're going to have resurrected bodies with increased capacities to behold God face-to-face. Look at uh, Revelation 21 there. This is the end of the story. The shock factor here is that this isn't about people dwelling with God in heaven because that happens right now. This verse is talking about the day where the tabernacle of God that's in the heavens is coming down to the earth. How many of you know when Jesus comes, you believe in the second coming of Jesus here? Okay, good. Good, I'm in the right place then. When Jesus comes, he's not coming to go away. He's coming to stay. And when he comes to stay, he's bringing the kingdom of heaven with him to the earth forever. This is our glorious hope. Look at this. It says, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. They're talking about the father now. And look at this. And they shall see his face. Wow. Do you know what this is talking about? I mean, We read over that and go, oh, that's cool. We'll see his face. You know, next verse. No, stop. We're going to see the face that kills people in the Old Testament. If you were to see the face in the Old Testament, it would kill you. You know, if you saw the face right now, it would kill you physically. That weak old body of yours could not handle the infinite power of the uncreated God. We would be literally destroyed by the power that flows from the face of the one seated upon the throne. He can't help it. (laughs) It's like sticking our finger in a thousand volt light socket and expecting to live. We could not survive it. And so, you know, I love Moses' story. It's kind of cute. Moses says, Lord, show me your glory. Or, you know, at at IHOP, we've got a worship leader, Jay Thomas. Do you guys know who Jay is? Jay, he's a good friend of mine anyway. He's funny. But he's got a song, you know, release the fullness of your presence. And I, I sing it too, but I go, Jay. You don't know what you're talking about. Release the fullness of your presence? I mean, do you know what that would do to us if he released the fullness of his presence? And he goes, yeah, I know, but it just sounds good, and, you know, it worked. And so I'm like, okay, good. Just as long as we both know God can't release the fullness of his presence and not kill us all, that's good. We'll keep singing it. But anyway, so Moses is like, show me your glory. And the Lord must have chuckled at Moses and said, I like you too much 
to show you my glory. I would kill you if I showed you my glory. So he hides Moses, and then he allows Moses to see the train of his robe, right? But in this day, beloved, we're going to have resurrected bodies. Our minds will be completely renewed with truth. It says, you will know the truth. The truth will make you free. We will be free. We won't have shame. We will see clearly. We'll have restored emotions. We will have healed bodies that are resurrected and glorified and immortal, which means I can eat whatever I want and I won't get fat. Praise God. And we will behold the face of the Father. Come on. Second Corinthians 3.18 says, as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are transformed into what? Does anybody know that verse? Pop quiz. Second Corinthians 3.18, pop quiz. As we behold the glory of the Lord. Yeah, are you asleep, Drew? Come on. What does it say? We'll be transformed into? We'll be transformed into the same image. Into the same image from glory to glory, which means... That what we behold about God transforms us into the same image we behold. That's what he's talking about. Progressively by the Spirit of the Lord. What do you think is going to happen when if right now we behold him a little bit through the word, because that's how we primarily behold God today. I mean, God can give us encounters. Praise the Lord. In dreams, you know, I've had encounters with the Lord. I've been able to behold his glory. And his glory, by the way, is not an ethereal light show. His glory is mostly talking about his character, his nature, how he feels, who he is in his person. So we mostly behold him right now through the word. And if we behold him in the word a little bit dimly, as in a mirror right now, and we are transformed into the same image we behold, what do you think is going to happen when we have resurrected bodies and renewed minds and we behold him face to face? How fast... Do you think we will be continually transformed from glory to glory, more like him, to feel more like him, to think more like him? We will never be God, but guys, forever, we will continually be transformed to be more like him forever. Well, we don't have to wait until that age to begin the process today. This is one of the glorious fruits of entering into the place of priestly ministry before God as we behold him and we sing about who he is. Holy, glorious, beautiful. And the Spirit escorts us into the deep things of God's heart and mind. We begin to take on those same characteristics right now. You know, we wonder why we're struggling in sin. It's because of what we're beholding. I love 12-step programs. Don't get me wrong, but God doesn't have a 12-step program for us. He's got a one-step program of transformation called Behold Me and Be Like Me. Open your Bible to uh, 1 Corinthians 2 for a minute. And I promise I will try to get to the notes. But again, I, I, notes is my love language, and I, I love to leave them with you so you can kind of study this stuff out on your own and go deeper in it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. How many uh, singers do I have in the room? And I don't care if you're good or not. Singers that are not good or good. Raise your hand. Okay, good. Because <laughs> if you're only thinking good, a couple people raise their hands usually, you know. It's like God wants us all to sing. 
But if you sing bad, just sing quiet. But God wants us all to sing. It's the truth. He loves it. Even the best among us, the best, are really weak compared to the angels with perfect pitch around his throne day and night. Okay, so, so it's all weak. So he's going for something more than just talent here. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. <laughs> it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Does anybody love him in here? But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. What has he revealed to us through his spirit? He's referencing things that eyes have never seen before. Literally. Things that your eyes have never seen, things that your ears have never heard, things that you've never even thought of, God wants to reveal those things to you by the Holy Spirit. It says, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now, from my perspective, everything about God is deep, right? Little brain, on the earth, I've been alive for a couple years. God is eternal, infinite in the heavens. Everything about him is deep. What do you think it means when the Spirit says there are the deep things of the Father's heart? The deep things of what he's thinking. The deep things of what he's feeling. Those are the things that he wants to reveal to us. And he goes on to say, verse 12, Now we've received not the Spirit of the world, praise God, but the Holy Spirit who is from God, and this is the reason why, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Just like our brother Brian had an encounter tonight where he said, you know, the Lord said, come closer, come nearer. God wants to give us an invitation to be escorted by the Holy Spirit into the deepest things of God's heart, what he's feeling, the deepest things of his mind, what he's thinking. And he wants us to begin to put it into song and to sing it and to declare it. You know, there's a great harvest of souls that the Lord is going to bring in at the end of the age. We're believing God for over a billion people to get saved prior to his return. And one of the primary ways God is going to bring in the great harvest is by the church standing up in her identity as a bride who knows his heart and knows his mind and puts the revelation of the knowledge of God into song and she begins to sing it to the nations of the earth. That must be resonating in you guys. And God's strategy is really twofold. It's to shake the nations. Haggai chapter 2. God declared, I will shake. The Lord said he's going to shake it. So there's no exemption here. I will shake the heavens, the earth, the sea, the dry land. And then he says, all nations. The Lord himself will shake all nations. But then it says, and they, speaking of the nations, they shall come to the desire of all nations, which is the person of Jesus. But there's a part that Haggai's missing there. There's the shaking and there's the coming, but in between is the declaration of the knowledge of who Jesus is to the nations. And that's why they come to him. And beloved, as we mature in our bridal identity, like how many guys in here when you're a little boy dreamed of growing up to become a bride? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. I didn't. He was, yeah, yeah. But when I heard of the bridal paradigm and that the church's primary identity is a bride, I thought, did I sign up for the wrong thing here? What is this bridal thing? 
until I understood that in the kingdom, everything's kind of backwards and mixed up, in the kingdom, both men and women are referred to as the sons of God. Did you know that? <laughs> like, there's so many verses on it. Romans 8 is a good one where it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, do I have any women in here that are led by the Spirit of God? I'm sure I do, right? Well, you're a son, but it's related to accessing God's throne, his power, his authority, his kingdom. We have equal access to the authority and the kingdom of God as sons. It's our inheritance. But also, men and women are both the bride of Christ, but it's not related to accessing his throne. It's related to accessing his heart. That he wants to give us unhindered access to the deepest emotions and thoughts of his heart as his bride. Which even in the natural, you know, my wife is the only person on the earth that knows certain things about how I feel and how I think. She's gained that access through the covenant that I have with her. She's the only one. And in the same way, the Lord says to us, like he said to you, I have an invitation for you to come closer. There is so much that God wants to reveal to us about who he is, how he feels, the beauty of the fragrance of his emotions and his thoughts. Guys, he is the most fascinating person that there is. God's not boring. We're boring. God is fascinating. If we would just slow down enough to behold him. And so as the bride accesses the heart and the mind of God and she begins to put it into song, the nations will respond by declaring he is worthy, he is glorious. And as God shakes things out of their hands that are hindering their love and they hear about this wonderful person named Jesus who is the desire of all the nations, they just know it. They don't know that he's their desire yet. They will come to him who's the desire of all nations. Now, in Revelation chapter 4, how many of you are familiar with Revelation chapter 4? Oh, good. Let's go to it. Revelation chapter 4. Just open your Bible to it. <clears throat> and we're going to take a break at some point, right? How do I know when? Just whenever? Okay. So maybe right after this we'll take a break. Revelation chapter 4. I want to talk to you just a minute about this restoration that God is doing in the earth today called the restoration of the Davidic order. The restoration of the Davidic order. Revelation chapter 4, this is the most... Now, we're talking about being escorted by the Spirit into the deep things of God, okay? Revelation chapter 4 is the most comprehensive chapter of the Father's person and surroundings found anywhere in Scripture. The Father does not give us insight into what he looks like anywhere in Scripture compared, like compared to Revelation chapter 4. Revela uh, Daniel 7 gives us like two verses. Daniel 7 verses 9 and 10, we get a glimpse. That's it. Revelation 4, it's the whole chapter on the glory of the Father. And John was escorted in verse 1, verse 2, he was escorted by the Spirit into what we call the beauty realm of God. This is the... This is the realm that God created around his throne. And his throne is the governmental epicenter of the entire created order. So I want you to think of everything that's ever been created. This is the center. 
Everything that has ever been created is sustained and upheld and was created from the power that flows from this throne and the one seated upon this throne, which is the Father. Everything surrounds him. And the things that he set around himself, because he started with a, a blank whiteboard. I mean, he could have put anything that he wanted to, was meant to reflect his beauty and his glory to the rest of the created order. Okay, so John is escorted to this beauty realm surrounding God's throne where he is the one. Again, it's the governmental epicenter. It says in Daniel chapter 2 that God is the one who changes the times and the seasons. He is the one that removes kings and raises them up. You know, the, the kings of the earth, Psalm 2 says, they set themselves, yet God has set his king on holy Mount Zion, talking about Jesus. God is the one that orchestrates that. <clears throat> so here it is. Revelation chapter 4, verse 2, let's just look. Immediately, John was in the spirit, and he beheld a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now, when we look at what these next few verses describe, I want you to get a picture of it. This is the interior of the temple that God built in the heavens. You know, there's a temple that God built with his own hands in the heavens. It's what he showed Moses, and Moses patterned the tabernacle after this. This temple is in the heavens. This temple is at the very height of the eternal celestial city called the New Jerusalem. You know, that's your home forever, the New Jerusalem. God built this city with his own hands. It's the city that Abraham was looking for, right? That he, by faith, was following the voice of God, looking for this city. It's what sustained him. This is the city that Jesus said, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. He's building a place for us in this city. This city is 1,380 miles high, wide, and deep. And it's not a square, it's a mountain city. So think of a, think of a mountain, that's a city. <laughs> that is filled with light and glory and sound, music, singing, fragrance, seraphim, cherubim, angels, creatures that God hasn't even told you about because it'd throw you into unbelief. This is your home. Psalm 48, when the kings of the earth saw this city, because it's coming down, it says pain took a hold of them like a woman in labor. Okay? The city's terrifyingly beautiful because of the presence of God that illuminates the entire city and, yea, the whole earth when he comes down. So this city's 1,380 miles high, which means, because when I first heard that, I thought, well, that doesn't mean anything to me. I don't know how big that is. Think of this. Planes fly about six to eight miles above the earth, okay? Uh, satellites, the majority of satellites, they orbit around 200 miles above the earth. They, scientists argue that outer space begins around 800 miles above the earth. This city is 1,380 miles tall. That means that if it's set on this present earth, which it won't because it would destroy it, if it's set on this earth, it would stick out into outer space about 500 more miles. And at the height of this city, which is your home, I mean, come on. You want something to keep you faithful and steady and you're sojourning here on the earth? Get a vision like Abraham had. He's looking for the city in the sky. That's what he was looking for. At the height of this city is the temple, and in the temple is the throne of God 
And that is the picture we get in Revelation 4. John was escorted to the height of the New Jerusalem in the temple, and the interior of the temple upon that sea of glass is what he's describing for us right here. Beloved, nobody had insight into this place except for John, and just a few prophets here and there maybe have a verse. John gives us a whole chapter. Here it is. The reason why I'm saying this is I want you to set your gaze upon this throne. It will change your life forever. Because when we worship, this is where you go right now. You know, who do you think you were just worshiping, right? The Father and the Son are here. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He has his own throne. It describes it for us in Ezekiel. It's a blue sapphire throne that Jesus is seated upon. Ezekiel chapter 1. So when we worship, when we pray, it says in Hebrews 4, therefore come boldly before what? The throne of grace. This is the throne that he's talking about. We appear before God right now in heavenly places. We're seated with Christ up there. I'm not down here begging God to release power. I'm up there releasing governmental authority. There is no higher governmental authority in the earth but that throne and the one seated upon it and the intercessors connected to that throne, which we are. So when things are not going right in the nations and they're not going right and they're going Contrary to God's will, beloved, we are the only ones on the earth that have been given the keys of the kingdom to bind darkness and loose the glory of God. And if we don't take our governmental stand on the earth in unity with that throne, who else is going to do it? So I get excited about this. So let's look at it. Okay. Verse two, one sat on the throne. Verse three, this is what God looks like. He says, he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. That jasper stone in in ancient times was a diamond-like stone. John was beholding diamond-like brilliant light emanating from the person of God. He was looking at this crystal glory coming forth out of the Father because God is light. It's not just that light emanates from him. It says, he is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If that wasn't enough, he wraps himself in garments of light. He dwells in unapproachable light. And John was peering into that light called God, and he was trying to describe it, and he was saying it was like a diamond. The crystal glory flowing from God was like a diamond. Now, because of that, I did a little study on diamonds. You know, they've got some big diamonds out there. There's one diamond that's over 100 carats, that they had lights surrounding it. And when you would look at it, there was an aura of colors, like the colors of the rainbow surrounding because of the light shining off of it. And if you moved just a little bit as you're going around it, the colors kept changing and the the aura around this kept moving. That's a little bit what John was looking at. And so he's grasping at language to say, guys, he was like a crystal diamond moving glory light. But not just diamond-like crystal glory and light. He says he was like a sardius stone, which speaks of it was a deep red gem because God is a consuming fire, and he's saying he's like light and he's like fire. He's like glorious fire and light, and I'm looking at him, and there's an emerald rainbow that surrounds his throne, and this rainbow doesn't just go like a half arc like we see. It says it's around the throne, and it's not just a circle like this. 
It actually is a sphere that surrounds the throne, the emerald rainbow, which speaks of God's covenant mercy to creation, which means that we can't even gaze upon the beauty and the glory of God without looking through the covenant mercies of the one giving it to us so that we could behold him. He set up his whole government this way. It all declares who he is. Okay, so it goes on and it says, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on those thrones were 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes of light, and they had crowns of gold upon their heads. These are the highest governmental leaders of the, uh, in the government of Almighty God. They're humans. They've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and it gives us insight into God's desire for partnership with weak and broken people just like us. And the creative power and genius of God to raise up once Weak and broken people like us to places of governmental authority with thrones around his throne. That's where they're seated. And it goes on to describe that uh, from God's throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices, which could also mean singing voices. You know, God's a musical God. We only sing because he sings. He's a good singer. What do you think it meant when it said that they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden? Do you think it was like the jolly green giant? <laughs> oh, there's God again. You know, God. No. What if he came into the garden singing as was his custom? What if he came in singing? What if he sang creation into order when he began to sing, let there be light? What if? Well, from the throne proceeded these lightnings. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And just incidentally, uh, Sean Boltz had this encounter in the throne room. One time, you guys can ask him about this. Well, I mean, he's had it many times. But one time, he was talking to me about the seven lamps of fire. And he said, Corey, they're not lamps, like, you know, little lamps. He said, these are fiery columns, like unto what Moses followed in the wilderness that are moving on the sea of glass. He says, I saw them. They were like the Empire State Building tall. In fact, he wrote it in his book, Throne Room Encounter or something like that. But anyway, these huge, massive burning columns of fire is what were surrounding the throne, which represented the diversity of ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this is what John's beholding. And then he says, and from, uh, oh, seven lamps of fire, verse six, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. So it's the sapphire sea. And in the midst of the throne... Around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. One had the head of a lion, the other one like a calf or an ox. The other one had the face of a man. The fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, which the word that they are using here, four living creatures, is actually the word seraphim. It means burning ones. So these creatures are above the sea of glass. There's four of them. They fly around the throne. They've been created with unique capacities to behold the person of God, hence all the eyes. That's why they have all the eyes. They comprehend what they see about God, and then they declare what they see about God to the rest of the created order. They begin to sing here, holy, 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 in verse 8, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And here's the good news that those seraphim who have been created to behold and to declare the revelation of the knowledge of God, what they see, they declare, are only placeholders. 
until the bride on the earth arises in maturity and we take our primary governing role of beholding God and we declare to the rest of the created order what we see. Because those angels don't have the Holy Spirit who escorts them into the heart and the mind of God. They're beholding what they see from the external of God's person. Beloved, we've got the indwelling spirit who can see things that eyes can't see, ears can't hear, haven't even entered into the heart of man, and God's going to raise up a bride on the earth who knows her bridegroom, who begins to sing the unsearchable riches of Christ to the nations, and when that occurs, the throne of God in the heavens is now shifting and coming down to the earth. I know this might be some of the, you know, maybe you've never heard this before, but there is coming a governmental shift where the throne of God is coming back to the earth and we are saying, God, you know, we're waiting on you, we're waiting on you. I think the Lord would say, no, actually, no, actually, I'm waiting for you to grow up and to enter into the place that I've ordained for you. We don't have to convince him. It's a choice. Now, listen to me. This is a choice because some of you in the room might even be thinking to yourselves, well, you know, I'm not a gifted singer. I I have a short attention span. I don't understand the word that good. You know, whatever. We've got all of our excuses. I'm really busy. You don't understand, you know, all the responsibilities I have. Guys, Luke 10, verse 42, 38 through 42. it's, It's the few verses that talk about Mary and Martha, right? Oh, no. Here comes the Mary and Martha thing again. It's the glorious and terrible Mary and Martha story. The Lord's used it to help me so many times. I'm always on the wrong end of the story. Trust me. I'm the Martha by nature. I love to work. You know, I just love to do stuff and keep busy and da-da-da-da-da. So one day, the Lord says to me very simply, because I'm complaining about, you know, so much work to do and all this stuff. And the Lord takes me to the store and he says, Corey, you can choose to sit before me and hear my word. You can choose to behold me. Because that's what it said about Mary. It was a choice. For all we know, Mary could have been more anointed in admin than Martha. Seriously. She chose the better part. And the Lord says, and it will not be taken away from her. And I want to say to you, this is a place ordained by God for you to step into. It is your God-ordained role to be a priest before him as your primary occupation first, regardless of what else you do. And from that place, then everything else will be put and set in order. But it starts with a choice and it's the best part. And there's no one, not the devil, not any religious leader, no one that will actually take this away from you, but you, you're the only one that can do it. But as we step into that place, eventually the whole bride on the earth is going to be singing what we see about him, bringing the nations in And the Lord's throne in the heavens will actually shift. And he is coming to the earth, bringing the heavens and the earth together again. He's going to resurrect the entire earth. It's called the new heavens, the new earth. The new Jerusalem will be on the new earth where we will dwell in face-to-face communion with him forever. And then we get to start part two, whatever that is. Amen and amen. All right. So we're going to take a break.